1: Everybody, everybody, hear ye. Mel is not okay today. Mel has suffered another traumatic loss. And I'm going to give you a little uh, trigger content warning. Because something happened to one of the animals at her parents' house. And it was very traumatic. And she she is here. Say hi, Mel. Hi, I'm here. And I'm not well. <laughs> she, She is just crying all day long. Because as we know animals are our people too and when you've had some sort of a loss and then you have another loss it's just it just compounds on itself and mel has expressed that it's really hard to see her parents in a lot of pain also and not be able to help them and to feel like she's not okay also and she has told me that it has taken her back to a lot of her raw widow feelings so mel do you want me to tell them what happened
0: you can tell them what happened if you want just not, Anybody not. if if you guys listen to this and you have any sort of sensitivities, skip ahead. But yeah, you can talk about it if you want. And and this is not one of my three dogs that I have living with me, but this is a family dog that has been with us through everything. So it is like my dog. Continue. Yeah. So at Mel's parents'
1: house, they have Kevin, they have Phil, they have Rosie. Those are their three dogs they're tiny little are they poodles yeah mel is nodding at me because she can't talk three little toy poodles okay they're toy poodles little guys and um little grayish blackish dogs but they were i don't know if we should say babysitting house sitting borrowing not borrowing but they were watching somebody else's dog and that dog was a big dog and that dog jumped up while mel's mom was holding poor phil and killed phil Right when her mom was holding poor Phil. So Mel got the glorious, horrible task of going to clean up the crime scene because her parents took Phil to the vet and it was um, bad and traumatic. And so we understand that why you're not okay, Mel. And everybody give Mel a virtual hug because she needs it so bad right now. But Phil has been with their family for a long time and Mel has been looking through pictures Um, And Phil is in all of the pictures that they have of Scott's final days, the pictures that they took, like, on Halloween, right before Scott died, right, was the last picture that they have together, and Phil is a part of all of that. And can we just say, Phil, the name for a dog, is amazing. Phil, Kevin, Rosie. Oh, and... Mel has pictures of Phil laying on her after Scott died and just being one of her little comfort animals and also her little dog, Lily, who died after Scott died. Yeah, so it's hard stuff. It's hard. And it's the holidays, which isn't fair. And it's just traumatizing. And Mel's parents are also very, very traumatized because they watched that happen and were scared also that the dog was going to attack, attack her mom. <laughs> Mel is just doing that thing where she wants to apologize for her feelings and tell you that she feels bad that this is not making for a great recording. And maybe if we would have recorded this a different day, but that's ridiculous, Mel. So I'm not going to apologize for you. There's no need to apologize for any of this. It's just sad. Now she's sticking her tongue out at me. So that's, that's where Mel is. She's not okay. She's having a rough weekend.
0: Hopefully it gets a little better. Yes, Mel. Everybody know your dog breeds. This dog was a giant schnauzer that was used as a therapy service dog, like an actual trained service dog for somebody. But giant schnauzers are known to be well-suited for being the only dog in the home. They like stick with one person, and the dog had been fine, and then the dog snapped. We have no idea why, but if you are going to get a dog or have that dog around other types of dogs, do your research really, really well. Talk to breeders. Talk to people that are familiar with breeds so you can avoid something like this because there's a lot of traumatized people now in our house. Re-traumatized, <sighs> too. You guys have had
1: your more than your fair share. Also, Mel wants you to know that they had to contact animal control. And there's, I don't know, like an investigation that goes on. And then there's feelings about that, too, about what happens to the dog. Because some other family loves that dog, but it's also not okay for dogs to kill other dogs. And it's really complicated. And the dog assailant got taken to another house, so he's not still there with Mel's family. So that's Mel's story from the week. I I don't know what happened before in the week for you, Mel, but it probably wasn't as bad as that. It was going great because
0: we got some cheese, Anita. That's
1: right, we got the we got the lauded cheese advent calendar and we ate some cheese. So that was good for Mel and then the world fell apart again. So no cheese doesn't fix this kind of a thing
0: i can't eat yet i'm going through some of the similar feelings of immediate trauma you know you can't eat and then you're like wait i can't be happy at any second i have to be sad all the time there's no reprieve and then you think of memories and then you're sad and it's a whole thing you all know you're here for a widow podcast (laughs) (laughs)
1: Today, we're extending it to a a dead dog podcast to poor Phil. That's I just keep texting Mel, poor Phil. And she says, poor Phil back. Because poor Phil, he did nothing wrong. He
0: was just wrong place, wrong time. I know. And Phil, when Scott died, Phil was at my house. And when my house was filled with people, Phil went lap to lap.
1: You guys, it's so sad. <laughs> oh, So, my week, I've actually had a pretty good week where I felt like nothing traumatic has happened and it's been pretty dang okay and I was feeling really good about that we went um on a family outing last night which is always a little bit terrifying to me and I always feel like I can run up the rocky steps and do the rocky dance at the top from you know the movie rocky because it feels like such a big feat to take four kids anywhere and not lose them and uh, so we did that, and Mel called me in the middle of that to tell me her traumatic story. So that was kind of a bummer. And it's like, I wanted to help you, Mel, but I was far away and I couldn't help you. So all I could do was, like, say I'm sorry. And
0: my task was not one that anybody would want to go clean. so I totally would have come done it. Except I know that you would have. That's why I called you. (laughs) If I was closer, I
1: would have done it. Today, we went to church and I had to go to a meeting that is generally reserved for sons and their fathers. So that was a little knife to the gut moment. And yesterday, somebody had to come put up my Christmas lights for me which is another one of those reminders. But um, so far, the holiday season is not treating me too badly, and we'll see how it goes. But um, so Mel, <laughs> Mel is in the the worst situation, and I'm in an okay spot. And I hope that you guys are also doing okay, because we know that the holidays can be really, really, really challenging, especially if this is your first holiday season without your your person. And there's not a lot you can do to, like, make it better. It's just kind of you have to hold on and it's like being on a bucking bronco, right? You're just trying to make your 8 seconds.
0: I think it's so stupid because feelings are hard and you can't fix the situation and mm-hmm. you just have to sit in it and it's painful. And it's so stupid. and it's so stupid and like Even if we're a good person or we try to do good things for other people, it doesn't make it so that bad things don't happen at all. We all know that. So for those that are dealing with these feelings and with trauma and loss and holidays and missing their person and having things be turned upside down or family situations that are hard now, we are thinking of you and we get it and we're just sending out all the love we have. And I'm crying extra tears for you all today.
1: She's bathing herself in her tears. I mean, you're exactly right because your parents were doing somebody a favor and look how they were rewarded. What do they say? No good deed goes unpunished. But in good news, this weekend is our Zoom hang, our official Zoom hang for December. Now, if you're in the Widow Wives Club, you will have seen that we're trying to arrange some additional Zoom hangs because we know that people might need a little extra support. So people are volunteering just to be in the, what is it? The Zoom room. And you guys can drop in if you need to on those dates. Those are posted in the Widow Wives Club if you need a little extra support during those times.
0: And if you're in the Widow Wives Club, you can look at the events calendar and see what's scheduled already. Right now we have one with Kelly Ford on December 15th and we have one with Sarah Kennedy on December 24th. And those are going to be in Facebook groups, so you can just click on the link in Facebook when you pull up the event. And I did see a discussion that Sarah is putting out there on a possible game of Cards Against Humanity in case there are no little children around. But feel free to put some feedback out there, or if you would like to host one of the meetups during these days of December, we'll schedule you. So it's just for extra support and for fun stuff or whatever, whatever you need. Um, This weekend for our our actual zoom hang though we
1: are going to be doing an activity so if you're going to come we will put a little bit of information in the widow wives club we need you to submit a fun fact about yourself or a fun story we'll give some more details in there because um, we're going to actually try and do a little activity and not just chat this time we thought it'd be fun to do something fun wow i'm good with words That's why they pay me the big bucks to be here. (laughs) I'm sure there
0: will be some chatting if we need it. It'll be fun. We're going to try and make it fun. I need it to be fun. Can I claim that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you absolutely can. So we've talked about this, the Widow Wives Club. If you're not in there and you want to be part of the club, come join us there. It's on Facebook. It's a private group. We make sure everybody who is in there belongs in there so we don't have any scary, scary scammers but that means that you have to submit the proof that we ask for and make sure you answer all the questions. If you want to keep this lovely podcast going, consider joining us on the Patreon. It's patreon.com WWDN. It's just a way for listeners to be able to support content creators like podcasts, artists, musicians, other people who make stuff. We have four different membership levels, four different tiers. And one of the things that you get when you're at the Widow Bestie and Up is a shout out during our episode so we're gonna do that now we'll see if mel can participate if not you just get to hear my lovely voice
0: i'm gonna try okay because now we're not talking about the thing but yeah who knows i might start crying (laughs) oh my gosh you guys okay we
1: are going to start with our first secret dead husband and because it's the holiday season we're going to say joy to the widow (laughs) that's all (laughs) constance Dahlbeck. David Kelly, we hope you're making some delicious bread for the season.
0: John Satterwhite. Gail Paxton. Gail, I have a question. Do you know someone named LaRonda Dennison? That's all. Continue.
1: Ivan the Meisner, who's in Antarctica. Cat, who
0: is not in Antarctica, but with her amazing cat. We assume
1: so anyway. Krista Waite. Sam Finlayson. Amy Hartman-Martell. We're sorry about your grandma. Oh, I know. Amy Sapp. Ashley Hahn. Christina Shiflet. Danielle Catterberg. Nada Debbie Downer. Dennis Brazo.
0: Jenny Taylor. Jennifer Brown. Jennifer Hassel, everyone loves your episode last week. Jenny Wang. Kathy Murray. Kelly Ford. Spooky Scary Stromberg, congrats.
1: Lara Bradbury. Lauren Old. Leslie Webb. Marie Hoffman. Missy Schubert. Rachel Barboza, woo woo, Sarah Morris, Sylvia Slingshot Shore, Taylor Snyder, The Winehouse, Vicky Spit, The Widow of Kirkoff, Anna Tracy, Christina Scambato, Christine Anderson, Cindy Raynod, Mindy Holmgren, Don Barber, Debbie Fells, Diana Becker, Emily Thornton, Emily Toledo, Aaron Posick, Gabe Lozano, Ian Cini. Ileana Bel-Ruiz. Jackie The Coil. My mother, Jane. Jenny Barrow. When I was a little kid, my mom used to say, Jane, Jane, where's your brain? I feel like that now.
0: <laughs> Jenny Barrow. Jo- <laughs> Jocelyn Milo. The Fancy Lady Joy Kirsch.
1: Julie Stevenson. Karina Jacobo. Katie Radcliffe.
0: Carascara,
1: Lindsay Kanopka.
0: Lori Farrington.
1: Marjorie Lewis.
0: Mary McGowan. Megan Montague and the Capulets <laughs> Peter Rukabina Becky Zaiba. Cards Against the Kennedy, Sarah Shannon Helm
1: Stacey Saywert Sunshine Haven and her stickers Yes, Tammy Schwartz Tara Wallace Valerian Packer And finally, Elf on the Shelf Wendy. (laughs)
0: Thank you, guys. You guys, in the Widow Wives Club, we have started a gift exchange. That link will expire December 9th, and everybody will be paired with somebody to gift. So keep your eyes out for that. And if you listen to this after December 9th, sorry, catch you next year.
1: We hope you enjoy this episode and that you will take action after you listen to it, because
0: the Widows must win. And don't worry, I will not be crying in any of the episode, so everybody's safe. Okay, I'm Anita.
1: I'm Mel. We're just making it through this week, poor Mel, and we're trying to figure out, Widow, Uh... we do now. Anita.
0: What? What is happening today? I don't even think I
1: can deal with what's happening right now because it's so exciting. We have a legit celebrity with us.
0: A famous widow. Famous.
1: Famous widow. Yeah, we're like a little bit surprised that she even agreed to talk to us. Us plebe widows.
0: It's because we scared her into it, I think, at Camp Widow.
1: Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rock House Financial and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Maybe, but that's not how you deal with stalkers. Like, you don't feed into their stalkingness. Are we stalkers? No, not really. Maybe
0: you. Okay, Mel, who do we have? Well, we have the very cool and amazing CNN hero candidate, Michelle Neff Hernandez. Welcome. I am so happy that you guys stalked me and got me here. (laughs) That's the best.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. We are really pretty flattered that you would give us some of your time.
2: Well, I'm delighted that you asked me. So thank you. And I'm excited to dig into all of our things.
1: Oh, let's do it. Where are you recording from right now?
2: I am recording from my home office in Simi Valley, California, which is the global headquarters for Soaring Spirits International. And I'll just tell you that the global headquarters used to be in my home office in one place third of my (laughs) one third of the office portion. And then over the last uh, 13 years, we've expanded and finally have an actual legit office where you could come and be like, oh, global headquarters. Cool. Do you have a receptionist? No, I do not have a receptionist. I do have an office administrator. So that's good. She's not always here, which means that often I am the um, receptionist, which is great because, you know, that gives me an opportunity to meet all the people. Sometimes though they stick their head in my Zoom meeting. So if we get interrupted, it's only because <laughs> he's watching the watching the door out there.
1: <laughs> I was gonna ask if you have a water cooler. That was like oh, my yeah. definition of an office.
2: Yeah, no, no water cooler either. Yeah. I mean, you know, we can only have so many things. I do have a really cool picture of Abraham Lincoln on my wall. Okay. Well how's that? that, that- and I'll also count it from art from various widowed people in my life, which is also very cool. So I like that.
1: For those who maybe aren't familiar with Soaring Spirits, can you please tell us what that is?
2: Soaring Spirits is an organization whose mission is to connect widowed people with each other. So all of our programs are built around a peer-to-peer model. And over the past 13 years, we have like I said, we started in one little tiny corner of my home office and expanded to serve over 4 million widowed people since our inception with both in-person and virtual programming. Um, and again, like, we don't do therapy. We don't do, we encourage therapy, but we don't provide therapy. We don't provide services that are along the lines of psychologically professional. Um, Instead, we provide people with a community of support so that after they've talked to their therapist and once they've gone to the psychiatrist, they can come home and call their widowed people and be like, oh my gosh, this is so hard.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Perfect.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. So Soaring Spirits is who puts on Camp Widow. And that is how we came into connection with you and obviously you guys don't use professionals because you let us come and speak at Camp Widow so
2: well I have a very clear memory of um, Mel's blue head walking past me and I was like wait and I thought then I saw you follow her and I was like oh this must be the girls from what do we do now as I'm like (laughs) waving as you as you go by I, I mean we went from I used to do everything for Camp Widow but as we've grown and it's gotten as big as it is, I have a, I have less interaction with the uh, presenters than I used to. So it used to be you'd be doing an interview with me before going. Now we've got people who are doing a much better job even than I did. So that's how we got you, right? <laughs> they
1: didn't interview
0: us. <laughs> Here's how cool Michelle is, you guys. At the end of Camp Widow, they do something called a Mickey Mouse line. And basically, she's Mickey Mouse. And we get to go up to her. And meet her.
2: What makes me laugh about that is the first time I did it, I thought, um, well, I could end up just standing here by myself (laughs) by myself, having just announced that I'm Mickey Mouse and playing Mickey Mouse. But uh it's actually one of my favorite parts because it makes it possible for anybody who wants an opportunity to just have a word or tell me about their experience. Um, you know, one of the things about Camp Widow is that it was built by widowed people and the feedback that we get from the people who attend, that's the thing that makes it better and better each time. And so having just a minute to hear about people's experiences really helps to make that possible.
0: I just have a suggestion though. I'm wondering if next time you can wear Mickey Mouse ears. I meant to do it. So
2: the first time I did it was in
0: 2019, (laughs) I think in Toronto.
2: And so I said after that, I really need Mickey Mouse ears. And then, you know, 2020 happened. And so by the time we got to 2021, I forgot that I needed Mickey Mouse ears until I said it again. And I was like, I really need like hope ears or something, something cool. We'll see for Tampa. Maybe I'll get some ears.
0: Yes. This is normal. (laughs) Sometimes we live in audio when they're screaming just to be funny, but <laughs> I can see why now. <laughs> Yeah, oh it's hilarious. Okay, so Michelle, tell everybody about how you became widowed. I was 35 years old. My husband went out for a bike ride and
2: uh, our whole life was you know was adventure racing and mountain biking and uh, all kinds of anything active. That's what we did most of the time. Um, we were a blended family, so he was separated from his longtime partner. Um, And then I was divorced. And so we had three kids each. So I had six kids when he died. And, you know, Anita's eyeballs just like rolled to the back (laughs) of her head because there were six very different needs. Anyways, we had six, a blended family of six. He went out for his bike ride and was hit from behind by a car. It was the first day of school. So I had like a pile of the first day of school papers that I was filling out. I was a personal trainer at the time. So I had a client that night and I got a phone call from a random number, which I almost didn't answer, but then I thought, well, it's a, it's a cell phone. I guess I should check. And it was a lady on the phone saying that he had been hit by a car and she thought I should get there right away. So he was about three miles from home and uh, I got there. He was unconscious, still alive when I got there, but he did not survive the ride to the hospital. So by the time we got to the hospital, I had about 15 minutes with him before I realized, like, this is not, you know, he's not recovering from this. I was pretty stubbornly still insisting that he could recover. It was very strong. And I just thought, you know what? If anybody could live through this, it's going to be him. And so then I, you know, woke up in a whole new world with uh, needing to tell six kids that their dad was dead. And and deal with the aftermath of that
1: was telling your kids that he died the hardest thing you've ever had to do in your entire life
2: Yes ma'am i awful so hideously awful yeah and worse like i had said to my kids so his three um were not living with us one the one his middle son had just moved out so just moved out literally the week before and so it was the first time we had just three kids at home we had anywhere from six between six and four, most of the time. Um, and so I told the kids that I thought he had just broken some bones because my brain said like, Oh, they're calling me. They're calling me from the scene of the accident, not nine, It one, one hadn't occurred to me. They could do both. And so I'm thinking he's going to be super annoyed because he can't run tomorrow and I have to put up with his crankiness. And so what I said to them out loud was it's probably fine. I'm going to go get him and Gonna, it sounds like I'm going to have to take him to the hospital. So I called one of our friends to come and sit with the kids. My oldest was 14 at the time. Stove, like the whole thing, like there's chicken sauteing on the stove. I'm running <laughs> out the door, telling the kids like, don't burn the house down. Gail's coming in a few minutes. Like, and so, uh, when I told them one of my kids said, you told me he just broke his legs. And I was just like, uh, you're like, yeah. I'm the worst human, no, in the, the worst world. human ever. Oh. And like, I can't fix this for you. And there's like mm-hmm. nothing I can do about this reality. Yeah, it was awful. And then, you know, his kids were older. And uh, so not only did I need to tell them, but I waited for them to get to the hospital so that two of the three of them wanted to see him. And so, yeah, hideous. I always, I mean, I think that's one of the levels of hell personally.
1: <laughs> yeah. I remember, so my husband died at, like, 10 p.m., and so I had to wait until the morning, and I just wanted to throw up thinking about when they woke up. And when they woke up, there was all these people in our house, and they were like, what's, you know, what's going on? Is it a party? And I was like, no.
2: Not exactly. No.
1: But, yeah, that's like, nobody should have to do that ever. Ever, ever, ever. Uh, Ever.
2: Yeah.
0: And how long had you guys been together at this point? Five years.
2: So our fifth anniversary was in June and he died in August. Also, interestingly, like I'm typically a super careful, you know, meticulous kind of person. And I met him on January. Well, we'd met, we knew each other. He coached track and I coached. And so we knew of each other. We were sort of in the same circles and he did a lot of writing. I was writing a lot at the time. And so um, we knew of each other, but we didn't really know each other. We met January 16th was our first date. We got married on June 16th. (laughs) so um in six months which is so unlike me in fact my dad was like I don't even know him like kind of like how dare you and I was like well I am 35 and I can I can choose to get married if I want um they all got on board but it was just it was so unlike me that my whole family was like I do not know what's going on but then of course looking back now like if I hadn't done that you know our time together would have been very different so I'm grateful for you know, for having made that choice when I did, even with everything that came after. Was he wearing his helmet? He was. When he was hit? Yep. Ah. And not only that, but he was riding the area that he was killed in. They had changed it from a one-lane road with a bike lane to two lanes maybe a year before and had gotten a lot of complaints because they had built overbuilt an area. And so they were trying to adapt for traffic and it's illegal to ride on the sidewalk in California. And so he was riding right next and they even measured like his tire was like an eighth of an inch away from the curb. So he was riding as close as possible as he could to the curb and he was wearing his helmet, but his, the car that hit him was slightly raised. It was an elevated suburban. And so that elevation meant that his the, the the tire went under the wheel well. So instead of the bike taking any of the impact, his body... It was took, him? Yeah. Oh.
0: You said that you had a blended family. And so what was the aftermath dealing with stepkids and grief like for you? So hard.
1: We talk a lot about secondary losses, and that belongs in the category of a secondary loss. You've lost your husband, and then you lost these kids that you have a relationship with that you love and then they're taken from you and I know we've had a few widows who are in blended families and that's a real fear of theirs is that the kids that they've grown to know and to love they have no rights to them and they're just they're just gone from their lives and that's that's so hard. hard it's
2: hard on the kids too I think that the hardest thing for me was seeing them hurting like first of all there's nothing I can do for any of them right like he's dead I cannot undo that no matter how much I want to be able to do something to, to heal for them. Like, there's, there's nothing we can do but be together, really. Like, that was the biggest healing agent that we had. And not to be able to offer that to them when I knew how much they were hurting was awful. And definitely a secondary loss that it's hard to calculate or even to understand even in the moment. Because in, in part, right, like, they're also acting out. They were, you know, they were mean and they were difficult. Of course they were, their dad was dead. And so, and, you know, there were young adults that didn't know quite what to do with that. So yeah, overall, it was really, really awful. And as you know, Anita juggling, like the needs of different kids with different personalities as they're grieving and you're grieving, you know, it's just like It's crazy making. It's stupid hard.
1: So what year was this when he died? 2005. 2005. So it's been 16 years. And when did you start Soaring Spirits? The
2: concept for it started really in 2005. um, But uh, we were officially incorporated in 2008.
1: So I'm curious as to how that came about was it just you who decided that something needed to happen or did you get with other widows how did you find them I mean take us through that
2: so I started by really I'm a checklist girls I really wanted a checklist really really bad um and so I thought nobody knew what to do with me I mean I was really well supported I had great people in my life but none of them were widowed And so it was like, well, she won't move his shoes. Is that weird? You know, she (laughs) asked us for a safe to put his ashes in. Is that weird? Like nobody knew what to do with me and they were super supportive, but I just thought, okay, who do I ask how to be a widow? Like, I don't have any idea. So (laughs) I decided that the only thing to do would be to ask other widows. So when I had been widowed four months, I started on a what I anticipated would be a book, which was to ask 50. I wanted to ask as many widowed people as I could get to answer me 50 practical questions. And they were about where you sleep in your bed. If you put up, you know, pictures or took down pictures, like just what did you do with their shoes? How long did you wear your ring? And so, um, I armed with my little tiny recorder, cause this is 2005. I have this tiny little recorder and I just start saying to people, if you know someone who's widowed, I'd like to talk to them. And so I ended up oddly traveling the country in this really kind of weird way over weekends. Cause I was still working and raising kids. And, um, I interviewed 30 widows. And at the end of those interviews, all I kept thinking was how cool it would be if they were together. Like they were like already in my mind, a community though they'd not met each other. And so I thought I need to like, what if I could just make an event where they would all come and they literally were all over the country. So I was like, yeah, right, Michelle, how are you going to get all the schedules together? Who's going to pay for it? And then I thought, well, maybe it's just anyone. Maybe anyone could come and any widowed person could find a community because it when I met them individually, one by one, no matter how different our circumstances were, and some of them were very different. Um, I felt understood and I felt hopeful in a way I hadn't before. And so I wanted that for other people. And so really what happened was the idea for the event for Camp Widow was like fully formed. Like I knew exactly what I wanted it to look like. And it really hasn't shifted that very much from the beginning. Um, It's longer now and it's a little bit, you know, we've included research-based resources and, you know, we've obviously developed the program, but the concept of it's still the same. And it's that need to have that event is what made me found Soaring Spirits. So then I was like, well, if I'm going to do that and I want people to give me money, then I guess we better figure out how to have an organization. So, you know, I'm like literally like buying the book, um, you know, dummy's guide to opening a nonprofit. Like I know, (laughs) literally no idea what I was doing. Um, And I always tell people if I had known what I was doing, I would run the other way (laughs) for sure. So it was a blessing that I had no clue what I was doing because I just learned as I went. Um, But that's that's been the model, really. And what that has done for us, I think, is allowed people's input to be really the driving factor. If we're not, we serve widowed people by doing what they ask us or what they tell us that they need. And if we're not doing that, if we're just making it up ourselves and not asking for input, then I feel like we're not serving to the best of our ability. And so it's really given us an opportunity for for it to have from the beginning kind of been like, um, you know, just uh i will will say it was a little bit of a shit show (laughs) but to to really allow that like and to have a little bit of the chaos and a little bit of the we don't exactly know but we want to figure it out it really has resulted i think in a better program
1: do you think this has been my experience that widows are a little bit more forgiving of other widows like so if everything doesn't go exactly to plan in the program they're like it's okay like I understand. I will
2: say that I have had both experiences. Oh, no. (laughs) I have had a lot of experiences where people, you know, but here's what I always tell my team. People are grieving. And sometimes grieving people are mean. And that's Mm -hmm. just true. And typically, the people who have been very difficult to deal with have some of the most really difficult stories, too. And so then they come through the program. And I I have been apologized to many a time from people who say, I was kind of a jerk. And, you know, this I know this kind of threw me off, you know, whatever it was, whatever didn't whatever button didn't work, whatever expectation wasn't met. But by and large, I agree that we are What one thing for sure I agree with is that when you are a camp widow and you know that the people who are presenting are also widowed. You view their presentations completely differently than if you would if they were not also waking up in that bed where the other person's supposed to be and isn't. And so even if you don't res- if what they've shared doesn't resonate, it's not because they don't understand you. And removing that piece, from the presentations has made a huge difference to how the message is understood and how people engage. It really makes a big big difference. So, I love that about what we do and I think that that is across the board true. Even if they thought your presentation was horrible, they still would be like, yeah, but they're widowed. You know, so they get they get
0: it. This reminds me of my favorite book ever. Everyone's probably sick of me talking about it. The Body Keeps the Score. Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, where he's talking about how trauma survivors tend to congregate only among their kind, and they have to adopt outsiders in through like a vetting process, or they'll listen to people that have the same experiences. So that reminds me of what you're saying, and it's true. Like Anita and I have noticed, we'll listen to you because you're a widow, but we won't listen to you because you don't. You only get about like 50%, or even with therapists, like. Some of our friends are like, well, I don't want to go to therapy unless my therapist is a widow. Can they even help me? It's
2: interesting too, because it could be the same message. The same message could be delivered. And I'll, I'll, I'll liken it to this. When I was a personal trainer, often would train um, married couples and I refuse to train them together because they won't, they need different things. And so I would train them separately and they'd be like, you know, well, I know you told her that she needs to, you know, whatever, increase her cardio. It's like, I've been telling her that for years. I'm like, that's because she can't hear you because she hears you say so many other things, but it's a similar thing. It's like, you hear somebody who's not widowed tell you that a therapist could be really helpful. And they're like, don't tell me to go to therapy. And then you hear a widowed person say, my therapist has been one of the key things that has helped me make it through this. And they're like suddenly going, can, can I have your therapist number? Because that to you, you know, that confirms the value. So it's, it's definitely a, and I'll say every once in a while, we will have a a presenter at Camp Widow who is not widowed and that's intentional Because sometimes the information they have is so useful and helpful that I always just coach them and say, you go right out the gate. You tell them you're not widowed immediately. Make sure they know and make sure they know why you're here and what draws you to this work because they will forgive you for not being widowed, but it'll have to be quick.
1: (laughs) You got to like say it and then duck while they throw their tomatoes at you. And if you can get your, you know, sentence out, this is why I'm here. You might live. You might make it through. (laughs) You might. Oh, so did you used to have people who were not widowed? Did you used to have non widowed presenters? It's always no
2: it's it's still always ninety ninety five percent widowed but every once in a while we'll have somebody who offers something valuable sometimes it's um I mean we have one woman who did really incredible mandalas and meditation. Um, was not widowed herself. Her mom was widowed. So all of them have some kind of grief experience that's not only personal, but also associated with widowhood, but it might not be that they're widowed themselves. But over the last several years, we've had so many widowed presenters. We haven't, you know, who do such a huge, beautiful variety of things that we really haven't had. um, Every once in a while too, like a financial person will be perhaps not widowed themselves. Um, It's rare. Like I would say more than, more often than not there's just one person who's not widowed if any but over the years we have had some who aren't widowed and were brave enough to stand up there and say so
1: (laughs) so my favorite part well one of my favorite parts of camp widow when we came was i can't remember even what day it was but we were eating our dinner and we were kind of in this weird little spot i think it was the day that it was just kind of the reception not the sit down dinner and this lady came up and said can i sit by you there was no chair so we pulled up a chair for her and um she was older and she and mel talked for like uh-huh. 45 minutes dolin oh hello dolin.
0: hi oh, Dalin,
1: <laughs> and then i mean they just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked uh-huh. and then Maybe a week after Camp Widow, Mel sent me a screenshot of Dalin friend requesting her on Facebook. Nice. And we
0: were like, yes! Oh, connection made. I taught her how to text. Awesome. Me. That was nice. I haven't heard yet, Dalin. <laughs> are you still out there?
1: But you are Facebook friends. But it was just fun to see that connection because how else would that have happened? I mean, they're, they're from different worlds, you know, in, in Widow terms. Yeah, and you that's know. one
2: of my favorite things about camp is that you know, it it sort of removes the idea that that you don't have a connection with with all of these people. Like you meet people and you're like, I don't can't imagine in what world you and I would be sitting in the same place except for here. And so it really kind of opens our minds to the fact that, you know, people that we don't expect to have anything in common with might actually turn out to be people who mean a lot to us as we rebuild our lives. And I think that that's really shaped the way that I view the world since I've been widowed Um, because, you know, I've met people from all walks of life and we have this huge thing in common. And when you start with that huge commonality, I also think it's that we are so rarely able to, especially in the early days, put on any kind of mask. It's like, I got no time for that. I have no energy for that. And so what you see is people really at their truest in their truest form. And when you make connections at that time, they typically last for a really long time long time
0: i really loved that there are therapy dogs thank you for that mm-hmm. and the meditation room that was so great i think i mean so i'm a musician by day night whatever and so i've played a lot of conventions i've been in a lot of events and gone to some as an attendee and then played for some as entertainment and so i've gotten to kind of look and observe and participate in some of these other things and i have to say that being a part of camp widow and knowing that everybody is widowed it just makes you instantly feel connected with them you can walk up to a total stranger and like be best friends or feel safe talking about the details that you can't talk with about or talk to anybody else about and i found that that was so fascinating and they brought that up people brought that up at the at camp widow is that sometimes this is the only place i think it was you actually that said this sometimes this is the only place where people are able to talk freely about their situation.
2: For sure. And that makes it, you know, both really, really special when it's there and hard to go home. So, you know, we have a lot of people who struggle when they get back because, you know, for just a hot minute, it felt like doable. (laughs) Like, okay, you know what? I can do this. And then you go home and everything is still the same. um, Except I can't do this. actually. I I changed changed my mind. mind. (laughs) I'm going back to San Diego or whatever location you were at.
1: Okay, so we need to take this to the next level. There needs to be a widow commune. Oh, and we've been asked many, many times, <laughs>
2: so many times. Please, can we have a commune? Please, can we have a commune? I mean, we even had one year. People were offering, like, "I'm a chef. You know, I lo- I will keep everything clean. No one will have to do anything. I love to do laundry. I mean, people were just. <laughs> we had all kinds of things. I mean, I'm, I just want my own room. Yeah, that's all right. It's not a shared space. Got it.
1: Okay. Okay. So but so Michelle, we- are you, are you prepared to be a cult leader?
2: Yes <laughs> or no? I need some an answer people would right argue now. already that I am. I don't-, <laughs> really? I don't know. Yes, for sure. People think there's some kind of Kool-Aid we're passing out
0: over here. A nonprofit. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> well, but I mean,
2: even when you think about it, like we have t-shirts t- t- that say the word widow on them as do you. And when you, when people first come to us, they're like, don't even look, don't say that word to me let alone I'm wearing it on a t-shirt you're all crazy and so one woman particularly at one camp came up to me and she showed me her shirt and she said in a million years I would not have imagined that 48 hours could make me want to not only wear this but rock this and I was yes like, yes.
0: yes yes I love it so Michelle the camp widows are now at Marriott's correct yes ma'am tell us why well, when I first started,
2: so I told you about my early vision for Camp Widow um, and that I was a personal trainer. So one of the certifications that I did um, was through the, a national association that had their conferences at San Diego Marriott, where it's now the Marquee and Marina. And so I was kind of familiar with the hotel, but I thought in a million years, they're never going to let me have an event there. And I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to call them and say like, so I was just wondering if you gave me some information about it. And they booked it. So I, they want to know how many rooms do I want? I'm like, Oh, uh, well there's 800,000 widowed people, people widowed each and every year. And if I got only just one percentage of that, then that would be 800 rooms. So I would like 800 rooms per night, please. So I booked 800 rooms per night. By the way, we do not have an organization yet. I I want to say, again, I had no idea what I was doing. Now, this is proof positive. I had no idea what I was doing. But we, so I booked 800 nights for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then shoulder nights, which I didn't even know there was such a thing as a shoulder night. um, I think I had like 200 and 300 rooms. So we had a total of over... 2,500 rooms that I was supposed to book. Now, I didn't know what the word, I didn't even think about the word attrition, let alone what that might mean in a contract. I had signed a contract that said, if I don't sell those rooms, I'm going to pay for them. So at the end of the conference, if you've not booked out all your rooms, the only thing that can save you is if the hotel happens to sell those rooms out. So I've got a massive amount of rooms. By the way, the trial for Phil's um, case related to his death began in may and the conference was in july i was in court for an entire month the whole month of may i wake up at the end of the month of may my court case went to hell in a handbasket and i still have to put i was like oh my god this event is like in eight weeks i had um 79 people signed up so you can imagine the 79 people, they didn't need 800 rooms per night. So <laughs> what happened? I mean, because I had booked so many rooms, I had the whole executive team working on our event. Well, the executive team learns quickly that I don't know what I'm doing. And so they start releasing rooms, releasing rooms, releasing rooms. I don't know this is going on in the background. They're just trying to book so that I'm not going to end up with who knows how much money I owed. And so then um, we get through to the last day of the conference or no, I sit down with them on the first day and they have a meeting. Well, I didn't even know you have a meeting. I thought I was in trouble because there's this like whole conference room full of people. And I'm like, looking at them, like, why are you all here? They want to do the run of show. Of course, I have no idea. And so even it was so bad that they sent flowers to my room and I thought, oh my God, I hope they don't bill me for these. (laughs) Me any flowers. So we get so we get through that so they basically tell me that we don't have we haven't sold the rooms. But thank God for the gay um, pride parade, the pride weekend there, they happen to have like a pop-up pride and we sold like the hotel sold to like 99% one night, 98% the other night. So I was still on the hook, but nothing like what I was on the first day I was in, on the hook for $63,000, by the way, no life insurance, no money. So there's nowhere the $63,000 coming from. So $63,000 I owe, it got down to $15,000. So at the end of the time, on Sunday, they say, "Okay, well, we need to have a meeting on Monday um, to discuss your attrition." I was like, "Okay," still thinking, not not even like recognizing what that means. So she says, "Okay, well, that'll be that's going to be fifteen thousand dollars," and I said, um, "I'm going to sell a lot of t-shirts. I don't know how I'm going to make that fifteen thousand dollars, but." I want to have this event again. I think I need to have this event again. So we're in the midst of cleaning up on Sunday. I had, um, we have tribute tiles at camp, which is a picture of your loved one that you can hang up on a wall that says well-loved. And it's a way for people to introduce their person to each other. Um, thinking back to 2009, when we had our first event, we weren't really carrying our phones around with pictures of, Of our loved ones. And so this was a way for people to interact. And now it's just become a part of our tradition. So anyways, I have my tribute towel on top of a pile of stuff I'm carrying. And I run literally into the sales director for the Marriott. And I pick up my tile, I show him a picture of Phil, and I'm like, this is my dead husband, and I just want you to know how grateful we all are for the space that you have given us here at the Marriott. <laughs> Everyone here had a dead person, and the poor man, of course, he's horrified. I have been running for, I don't even know, weeks straight, so I'm on pure adrenaline, la, 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 all about dead people, and the poor man could not get away from me fast enough. So fast forward, when I t- we now owe $15,000, they say, well, you know what? Let- let us go have a meeting with the executives and we'll let you know how we can manage this. And so here I'm thinking, now I'm spending days, like how in the heck am I gonna make $15,000? Like, are they gonna ask me for it tomorrow? Um, And so when I got the call, it was from the sales director and he said, we've all been kind of arguing about who was gonna call you about this. And I'm like, Like, oh God, they're gonna ask me for the money. I'm in so much trouble. And he said, um, the Marriotts decided to forgive your attrition. And um, we also have dates for you for next year. So that is why um, the Marriott remains our key partner for Camp Widow, because from really that first time, you know, they were able to witness the transformation in the people who attended. Um, plus, I also put my dead husband's face in the sales director's face. But <laughs> besides that, um, you know, it, ha- it really it has remained a, a really valuable partnership. And they're not just people who are, you know, in the background serving and cleaning and, Planning, they interact with our program and they care about the people who come. And without fail, at that meeting, which I now know is something that you do to prepare with your team, um, at least three of them will cry because we are we tell our stories and we talk about why we're here and what this means to the people who are coming. And we help them know how to talk to widowed people so that when they come to that desk and they look terrified, that that they don't make it worse by you know looking at them and saying things like you know oh you're too young to be widowed or you know I. <laughs> Guys, you don't look like a widow. I mean, these are things that, you know, you both know. These happen and people will do things like that. So what we do with our Marriott team is we try to train them so that when they, people come to Camp Widow, they are taken care of from the minute they walk in that door until the minute they leave.
1: Wow. That is
2: amazing. It warms the cockles of your heart. <laughs> Makes you want to stay at a Marriott. <laughs>
1: also, we always say, if you have the widow card, you play the widow card. That's right. It's expensive. So- you should use it. <laughs> it is. So if you have the tribute <laughs> tile, you stick
2: it in the sales manager's. The funniest space. thing was, I really truly, like in that moment, I was so grateful. It had, I mean, miraculously somehow been pulled off and you know if every I was the only one who knew anything I recruited all my family members they had to be volunteers we had no volunteers so I had a board with only three people on it besides me so there were four of us and then my family those were the only volunteers we were running around I was like a chicken with my head cut off so by the time I saw him I just wanted him to know like you made a difference and even if we never come back here I need you to know that that being willing to host this event mattered. It mattered to me and it mattered to all of the people who were here, even if there were only 79 of them.
1: Even if I end up in debtor's prison, it was worth it.
0: (laughs) What year was this that it was the first Camp Widow?
2: 2009.
0: Where would you like to see soaring spirits end up as the years go by? What I really want is for
2: people to know that there's a community of widowed people available and that to be easy to find. And so, you know, I often think of something like the American Heart Association, like if you have something wrong, you might consider them as a resource because they're well known enough that, you know, they do that cancer, you know, there's a variety of cancer societies where you're like, okay, if I had cancer, I knew I would do that. I want people to be able to say, I I recognize we're not going to be for everyone. Like, you know, no one resource is ever going to be the one thing that everybody needs. What I love about the programs that we offer is they fit right beside whatever else you're doing. And I think if for widowhood, you need all the tools in your tool belt you could possibly get because there's, it's so hard. So if you can have a community of support, that's going to walk with you, you know, through your rebuilding of your life. And, you know, we talked a little bit about the fact that, you know, when people repartner, sometimes they may find themselves here again. And as horrifying as that is, the only thing I can think of that's worse is to do that with no community. And so to be able to have that community, I want it to be available for every single widowed person around the world. And whichever ones of them feel like we're the right int- place for them to interact, you know, we also will be happy to connect them with other resources. All I want is to make sure that if you're widowed, you do not have that. I, I felt like the only widow in the entire world. And I knew that was not true, clearly, but I felt like I was the only one because I didn't know where to find them. And in my local area, a lot of people were older and I just didn't see anybody else who was raising kids, let alone the crazy blended family that I had. I just, there was no, nothing that reflected what I was living. And, and I feel like the broader soaring spirits serves we have the opportunity to create a space where pretty much anybody could see their self reflected in some area of what we do, whether it's how their person died or how old they are, or what year they died, or, you know, whether they have some certain uh, circumstance that that's unique, you know, like the blended family, or we have many people who have complicated situations, you know, they were divorced and they thought they were going to get back together, or they discovered something awful after their person died. Where do you go for that? my, hope would be that people could come to soaring spirits and that we could help them connect with somebody else who has a similar enough story that suddenly they don't feel so alone
0: so the name of the organization is soaring spirits does that mean that the word spirit is tied to religion or or anything like that or is this a place where no matter people's beliefs they will fit in
2: I'm so glad you asked that. And so our technical name is Soaring Spirits International, in order to be able to address the fact that we've been able to serve across 153 countries. Um, and that speaks to exactly what your question is. So Soaring Spirits is meant to imply that our our spirits can still soar after the death of someone we love, as well as their spirits we hope are soaring wherever that is, however you believe that they went. And so um, we are a secular organization intentionally because we want to be inclusive of any kind of religious belief um, or spiritual guiding force. And we also, to be clear, we use the broadest definition of the word widowed. And that means it, your marital status doesn't matter. Your legal status doesn't matter. Your gender doesn't matter. Your religion doesn't matter. Your nationality doesn't matter. The only thing that, that matters to us, the thing that would make it possible for you to participate in our programs is the person you thought you were going to spend your life with died. And, um, you know, that's, that's all we need to know to be able to offer our programs and services.
0: I love that. It's so inclusive. And I know that widowhood is so isolating as it is that to add those other things on top is just kicking you down even further. So thank you for providing those things for everybody. Some of my most um,
2: heartbreaking moments have been hearing from someone who was turned away from another program. And, you know, and sometimes for reasons that I know probably felt like good reasons to the people turning them away, but the results the same. You know, even if it's just that, well, we had only eight spaces in our, in our support group and all eight places are filled, so you're going to have to wait till the next round for the support group. Like even things like that, it just feels like all I want is help. Why can't I get any help? And so, you know, one of the things we commit to is responding to requests for assistance within 48 hours so that we can make sure that people feel heard and they're not, you know, calling out into the ether. I still, I still will answer calls on Saturdays. And, you know, I just, if I get a call from someone and they sound like their world is ending, I call them (laughs) because I can't stand for them to sit there wishing that somebody would call. Yeah. We get
1: requests to join our Facebook group all the time and they say, well, I'm not a real widow, but can I join? And our response is always, yeah, you are, you know, the widow is not i'm a fake widow no you're not you belong here as long as you're not a jerk that's exactly. our criteria that's
2: a, <laughs> the question is not whether you're a widow real widow it's whether you're a jerk <laughs> that yes <laughs> or <laughs> a exactly. scammer or a scammer yeah that too both
1: so michelle you have repartnered repartnered partnered. Her, you have
2: repartnered is that correct it is correct i have been married for 11 years to my husband, Michael.
1: So you've been married longer to your second husband than you were to your first husband.
2: Twice as long.
1: Interesting. Does that come with any sort of mixed feelings for you?
2: Yes. Mixed feelings from the point of view of, you know, it's still so sad that Phil and I had such a short time together and nothing's ever going to make that different for me. I'm always going to be sad about that. Um, The beautiful thing is that Michael's not he's not threatened by that. Of course I'm, I'm allowed to be sad that Phil is dead and, you know, he doesn't get wrapped up in what, what would that mean if he weren't dead? You know, well, he is dead and he's not coming back. And so, you know, he, he's really able to be in that space and allow me to be sad. Um, but you know, it's funny because we just had a, a very early family Christmas with my kids and with Michael and one of Phil's traditions was to make the children eat hot peppers (laughs) I never thought it was a great idea, but here we are. So all this time later, the kids still love to eat ridiculous hot peppers. And it's always a contest. Who can eat the hottest pepper or whatever? So I hate it personally, but- Michael has gotten involved in it. And so they were sitting at the table and he bought them all like hot covered nuts to see which one, you know, like every habanero and all the things. And so we've got this table full of nuts and the kids are out there like up, up, one upping each other. By the way, my kids are 30, 29 and 27. So, you know, we're talking like kid adults are out there all eating. And what I thought was, you know, it's so cool that Michael is extending Phil's legacy with the kids. By participating and by continuing the tradition and making it something that's fun. First of all, it would have never been something that he did, um, but he knew that it was important to them, and he was able to include that. So, you know, I think that that the key thing for me and having both of these men in my life is that. They get to be who they are and I get to have the lives I had with them. And so, you know, my life with Michael is very, very different than my life was with Phil and I get to keep them both and live them both. And so I really appreciate being able to kind of embrace the differences and let that be and let that be a joyful thing and and not just a sad thing.
1: Is your family now also another blooded family? Did Michael have
2: kids? I love Uh, that you were holding your brain when you said that. I know. I was like, (laughs) if that's the case. (laughs) No, Michael did not have any kids. And so. Which sounds
1: weird to be like, oh, good. No, right. I was, my mind was going to be blown.
2: And it's interesting though, right? Because he never had any kids and he came into a family of grieving teenagers. How exciting for him. So um, it wasn't easy. And I, and because my kids had, you know, a divorce and then a death They were like, yeah, no, Phil's my stepdad. You are not my stepdad. And so, you know, it took them some time to come through what kind of relationship they were going to have. But I'm, you know, 11 years later can say that we really have become a family and that they think of Michael as their family. They still don't think of him as a stepdad that's Phil's place. And, you know, they have a dad, that's his place. And so Michael is just there, Michael. And um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's enough for him and enough for them, but I, it's, yeah, it's a whole other world for sure.
0: So Michelle, tell us more about the CNN Heroes. I am t- still kind of blown away by it. I still, I'm still, i still kind of like, oh wait, that is a
2: thing. So um, the CNN Heroes is a, a program that's been going on for 15 years and CNN identifies people who are doing good things in the world um, through submissions. So somebody, I actually know who did it. My Our board chair, Greg Roman, submitted my name for CNN Heroes this year. And I think the combination of The global grief that we've all been living through the pandemic and the fact that Soaring Spirits was serving specifically COVID-19 widowed people in a group of their own kind of brought their attention to the work we're doing. And then um, an interesting thing is that our producer who worked on the piece that was our segment for the CNN heroes, her dad died when she was young. And so for her, this was personal. Telling the story was personal. And so it was really a beautiful full circle. So basically what happens is if you're identified as a hero, you go through this really huge vetting process. They do background checks and ask you all kinds of crazy questions. And so once I once we were vetted and cleared, and then I we went on and did um, the filming for my episode at my office and kind of in our, our local regional group. But then you go into kind of the group of heroes for that year so the 2021 heroes and they then a group of cnn execs choose the top 10 and that top 10 then moves into a voting process um and that is to be selected as the hero of the year and the hero of the year so each of the heroes gets ten thousand dollars for their organizations and then if you win they give you a the winner, a grant of a hundred thousand dollars. So if I were to win, that would by far be the largest grant we ever received for Soaring Spirits work. And it would, you know, just be an incredible way to expand the services we're offering. So they start running the heroes pieces, right? We receive requests every five minutes for a newly widowed packet. And so it's been really like just crazy to watch the um, increase in demand for our programs, just because that's the thing is that people always say to me, oh, well, you know, oh, I don't need it. I'm not widowed. I'm like, yeah, but your neighbor is, your brother is, the person down the street is. And suddenly everyone is beginning to realize this This knowing about organizations that serve widowed people is not just for the person who's widowed, it's for their whole community so that they can, one, educate themselves about what the experience is like, two, provide resources through giving out a newly widowed packet or connecting people with our programs, and three, you know, should they need that themselves or someone close to them, there's nothing like being able to say, oh, I know somewhere you can get help, because so often in the face of grief, there's nothing you can do. And so being able to do something matters. So I'm excited about the CNN Heroes, both from their perspective of being able to get the word out to people who are widowed and could use our services today, but also by being able to, Educate the world a little bit about the fact that grief doesn't last only 365 days, um, that you can't just replace the person that you were married to or partnered with with someone else and be all better. And that, you know, even when you do repartner, you still love that person who died. And so all of these things are just, they're a part of what I do whenever I'm in public. And that is to represent the variety of ways in which the widowed experience influences us, not only in the immediate, you know, sense, but in our long term lives as we rebuild. How can people help you
1: to win? Because the I'm very competitive, like super uber competitive, and I want you to win. Like we must win. How?
2: I love that so much, Anita. I, I
1: We must win. You're right. We must win. The widows must win.
2: And in order to win, we have to vote. So on the CNN Heroes website, you go to cnnheroes.com. You will see that you have the opportunity to vote every day from now until December 7th. Each person has 10 votes per voting method. So you can vote on social media. You can also vote using email address. And so if you go on and vote every day or the, the amount of time we have left up until December 7th. It's a big push to the end. More votes, more votes, more votes. I, I, I'll say again, I keep feeling like I'm running for student council. Vote for me, vote for me. So um, <laughs> anyways, a vote for Michelle will be a, a, would be a
0: potential grant for widowed people all over the world. So we can link to that in our show notes and we'll post the link on our social media as well. And everybody, just in case you have extreme widow brain and you're not sure what day it is, the day that this is coming out, today is December 6th. So there's not much time. Vote. Voting ends tomorrow. But there is still time,
2: and every vote counts. So, yes, and I appreciate <laughs> it so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both for, for being willing to talk about it. Oh,
0: yeah, we want to bask in your glory. I mean, <laughs> that's all we want to talk about is widow stuff and helping the widows. So. Okay, Michelle,
1: the time has come to ask you the most important question. Of all time and if you don't get it right i'm not voting for you anymore there's a right
0: answer uh oh okay i'm ready well and i'm pretty sure that cnn heroes did not ask you this in their pre-screening interview so we hope that you pass okay
2: mm-hmm.
0: what is your favorite cheese Oh, that is such a hard question right <laughs> oh
2: how could i even pick just one
1: you can have top three oh, if you need. Oh, okay, it.
2: okay, okay. Top three. Um, <laughs> oh, what's that one that has the orange on it? Monster, Is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I know cheddar is boring, but a really sharp cheddar with an apple, so delicious.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm with and, you on that.
2: And um, oh gosh, what will I choose between? <laughs>
0: I mean, its feelings are definitely going to get hurt if you I know pick wrong. Well,
2: and you know, it depends on my mood too, because mm-hmm. I think that a nice brie is very lovely on kind of anything. But goat cheese, either with honey or even like a more of a savory, also very good. My daughter's favorite with cranberry. We've already trademarked mood-based cheese. Okay, so okay, good. Then we're I'm I'm right on. I'm on target. So I assume that means that I answered correctly. Truffle cheese also really high up there. Ooh, truffle ooh. cheese so good actually that's maybe the first cheese that makes fancy me, uh straight cheese is delicious I could just eat cheese because I would eat cheese but it was always melted on something or you know but that truffle cheese is my first one where I was like whoa this doesn't need anything but this delicious
0: so yum good. you know what's so funny when we interview people even people that listen to our podcast they know the question is coming and They can talk about death and trauma and all the hard things, but they still get to the cheese question. And they're like, I have been nervous for this all day because I just, I don't know what I'm going to say. So (laughs) it's scarier than death, apparently.
2: Well, hey, I mean, if you can find something scarier than death and, you know, people survive (laughs) it on the regular, that's
0: nice. (laughs) Ask someone about their favorite cheese. Exactly.
2: Thank you so
1: much for joining us today. Remember to check out the Widow Wives Club on Facebook. It's a private group and make sure you answer all of the questions because we're really, really not going to let you in if you don't answer the questions. And if you want to keep the podcast going, make sure you check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash WWDN.
0: And if you would like to buy us tacos, go to buymeacoffee.com slash now And until we talk
1: to you again, I'm Anita. I'm Mel. I'm Michelle. And we're just two young widows and one widow who will put chocolate milk in all the drinking fountains if you vote for Michelle. And we're all just trying to figure out. Widow, we we do now. Now.
0: This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me. What is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month.